G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Mann. And today I've got Nick Abes from Purely Finance back along for part two of playing the game of finance where we're helping you level up your play of the game. So some of the things we'll be covering today is how do the lenders actually assess your borrowing capacity? And then we can look at using their policies to play the game to your advantage. We're also going to go through some of the practical ways to increase your borrowing capacity. I didn't even realise some of the factors Nick mentioned that come into play there. And then we're going to answer some age-old questions. Should we go with interest only or principal and interest and some of the factors to consider in that? And we also look at when might be a good time to consider fixing your interest rates. Finally, we're going to cover off understanding the complete picture of a loan and what that uh, discount margin might mean for you in the future. And we're going to look at when might be the right time to consider refinancing. So lots to cover. Let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann. So, is there much difference between how the lenders assess borrowing capacity because I know we've come up against it in my personal situation being a bit more complex and sometimes I know um, the difficulty I'm causing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jared, they're all, everybody's different and, and some are more different than others, but we embrace, we embrace differences in our business, so that's good. Um, look, I think, I think... I feel like you need someone to challenge you and if, you know, if yeah, I push the boundaries, then, then everyone exactly else right. can seem easier. That's right. That's exactly right. I look at you as my personal trainer. Um, so I think all lenders have different policies. So what I, the thing that's really frustrating as a broker, and certainly a broker who comes from a, a banking biz background, is that a lot of the common sense and the human decision making has come out of the process. The lenders are very much becoming system processes, and mm. um, it's all about system. It's all about tick boxes, and it's it goes offshore, policy. doesn't it? And you know. The box some goes offshore, yeah, and, and that sort of stuff. Yeah, and it comes back to that time to back. reduce cost, right? So mm-hmm. nobody needs to make a decision. They've just got to tick boxes. They can get more loans through quicker, reduce the cost. And, yes, some people miss out, but too bad. For the greater good of the bank's profit, it works well. But we're all individual. We've all got our own story and we've all got our uniqueness and our circumstances are different. And lenders have different policies. So, And, and some lenders will just come out and say, no, you can't do that. And another lender says, oh, yeah, we do that. And, and lenders have real little niches that you think, oh, I can't believe they do that. Nobody else does that. Um, so I suppose that's part of our skill and it's something that we continually are trying to upskill ourselves on and we've got good resources to be able to, to search for this sort of information is what niches will fit. So if we're talking about investor clients, for example, there are a few lenders still out there that will service your existing loans on the actual repayment rather than the 3% higher serviceability rate. Okay. Uh, there's not many that do it, but there's a couple that do it. And that just is a mammoth difference between your borrowing capacity with those lenders compared with a with a normal lender. So they yeah. treat overtime different. They treat bonuses different. They treat sales commission different. They look at self-employed incomes different. Um, some will look at 
two years average, some will look at the last year's financials. So if you've happened to have a really good year in the last 12 months and you now are confident going forward, you're going to have that income and you want to use that income to be able to work out your borrowing capacity, well, there's a couple of lenders that are better than that than other lenders who, who just won't consider that. So, yeah, it's a multitude <laughs> of different uh, options and solutions for clients depending on what their circumstances are. And sometimes there is no solution, right? Sometimes... Yeah. Sometimes the only solution is to save more. And yeah. but what are, what are some of the other ways that someone could increase their capacity? I guess within some of the the normal things they might have control over. Yeah. So one of the things is remaining loan term on your existing loans. So if you have a portfolio of loans, you might have bought your first investment property uh, 10, 15 years ago, and that loan may only now have 20 years or 15 years to run. So when we're looking at how much you can borrow, we'll look at the commitment on that existing loan over the remaining term. So by simply refinancing that loan over a brand new 30-year loan will increase your borrowing capacity. So sometimes we get to a stage where loans have been reducing, the term has been reducing over a period of time. And by refinancing all those to a new 30-year loan for the investment properties, we can increase people's borrowing capacity. Other loans all those bad, what I call bad loans, your, your car loans, your credit cards, your afterpays and all that sort of stuff, even if you're not using your credit cards, the bank will look at your limit and they will basically put a repayment in there on the limit amount even if you've never used it. So mm. if you have a $10,000 limit, it's about 3.8% per month. So it's $380 commitment off your income after tax for having a $10,000 credit card limit. Yeah. So reducing credit card limits can, can help. Um, I always get surprised when Karina's travel card comes up in our, yeah, <laughs> in our loan right. applications every time because we just don't use it. We haven't travelled in two, two or three years. so um, Yeah, exactly right. But, yeah, it obviously counts towards reducing the capacity that they see. Mm. Yeah, and I look, I've seen people who have a, a personal card and they're an employee and their company they work for, they you know, might be in a role where they have to put a fair bit through the, the company through their own personal credit card and the company reimburse them. But that's affecting their borrowing capacity. So be aware of that. If your boss is suggesting that to you, say, well, no, actually, I prefer we have a corporate card. Thanks in, in your business name, not in my name. And uh, we'll use that. Thanks, not my own one, because that will have a negative effect on your on your income. And they might be able to, I guess, reduce borrowing uh, limits on their credit cards if they still need one, especially if it's not all needed. Yeah, and, need and obviously with their existing uh, property portfolio, it's important, you know, plug here for you guys, but it's important to have a, a good property manager who is reviewing rents and things like that to to make sure we're getting, you know, we're getting market rates so we're getting the right income coming in on one side as well because obviously increased income, increasing rents, increases your borrowing capacity as well. Interest rates on the loans that I mentioned earlier, if we can get those onto a lower rate, increases your borrowing capacity. The last one is an interesting one, and that's interest only versus principal and interest. And that is that let's say you have a brand new loan today and we say, well, what we'll do is a 30-year loan term for an investment property and we will put it over five years interest only. And after the five years, if we do nothing, it will revert to principal interest over 25 years. When the bank assesses that loan, they work it on a principal and interest over 25 years at the assessment rate. Because they know after the five years, it automatically reverts to principal yeah, interest okay. over 25 years. So, shorter years. loan term, effectively. Shorter loan term, yes. So, even though the repayment is less on interest only, it makes your borrowing capacity worse. So, mm -hmm. if we started that loan on 30 years interest only, 
uh, sorry, 30 years principal and interest, the actual repayment would be slightly less, up goes your borrowing capacity. And in many cases, the banks are giving a better rate to principal and interest over an interest-only loan, aren't they? So yeah, they are. you might actually yeah, are. work out overall it's, that you can afford to, to do that and still put enough savings aside to get ahead to your next property, but also have the bor- an extra borrowing capacity towards that next property. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, um, I mean, my view's changed a bit. We used to do a lot of interest-only loans for investors. Mm. That's all we did, you know. We sort of said, okay, well, what we want to do is, is pay down your, your owner-occupied debt. We mm. want to have your investment loans on interest only, and, and that was certainly made sense from a tax perspective. But we've seen a bit of the damage that, that can happen in the Perth market when property assets sort of went backwards, the loan yeah. stayed the same, and then it was hard the, the lending got harder, so clients couldn't refinance. So at the end of five yeah, or ten years point. interest only, they were going over to 20 years. They couldn't sell the property because they didn't have sufficient equity in the property to be able to clear mm. the loan. Especially if uh, they, they borrowed, you know, at 90% in the first place and, you know... Well, a lot of time it might be 105%. Yeah. They might have leveraged off another property so for an investment property. So they and might have borrowed refinance, yeah. it's not So couldn't refinance because the borrowing got harder. I couldn't sell because there wasn't equity in the property and now their repayments are over 20 years and interest rates at that time went up a bit. I mean, they're in a world of pain. Um, so I think whilst interest rates are so low and we get such good deals on principal and interest, if you can afford to go principal and interest from day one, there's no shocks. You're building equity in that property, hopefully two ways, one by asset uh, increasing in price, what we all want as property investors, but the second way the loan is coming down. And, and over time... The actual interest cost on this investment is so much less because mm. you are slowly reducing the debt. But it depends on everybody's circumstances, yeah. right? Sometimes interest only is still the appropriate strategy for people. But more cases now, principal interest seems to be what we're doing more for investors. Yeah. And I noticed that the fixed interest rates for a two or three year loan of fixing the rate are cheaper than variable rates for most of the lenders. So when might that make sense for someone to actually fix their rate and lock in at the, the lower rate they can get? What are some of the factors to consider there? Because I've often asked myself that question. Yeah, interesting. So I've been lending money to people for a long time uh, from back in the 80s. And this is the first time in my career that I've ever seen fixed rates below a variable rate when everybody in the market assumes rates have bottomed and are eventually going to go up. Normally what happens Mm. is if the market is predicting rates to rise, well, then fixed rates are already above where the variable rate is. And people would fix because what they're trying to do is cap where the rate might go through. They sort of think, well, yeah, my variable rate's lower at the moment, but it's going to go above. The banks are forecasting higher, so therefore, you know, they build in some buffer. So, and the reason for that was the COVID interest rate drops. So we had two interest rate drops back in March last year. The banks passed on a bit to variable rates the first time round. Second time they passed, didn't pass any on to variable rates. But what they said was we still need to be able to pay some money to our depositor clients. We've got people that rely on us for interest, um, people are retired and things like that. But what we will do is bring out some extra special fixed rates for borrowers to give them certainty over this COVID period. So that's the reason why fixed rates are below variable rates at the moment. I mean, I hear you, but I don't understand still fundamentally, you know, like if if rates are going are at historical lows, they're not going to go lower. And so what's the downside, I guess, then of us fixing 
the the rate? What 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 are some of the things that might prevent? Well, very little. Doing? I mean, what variable rates do is give you flexibility. So a variable rate, you can pay extra, you can pay lump okay. sum. Yep. Some loans have offset accounts. Most fixed rates don't have any of those features or they're okay. limited in those features. You're limited to how much you can pay back extra. With the variable rates, if you drop $100,000 into your home loan, you can re- as an extra repayment, you can redraw that money back out. So it's very flexible. Flexible, yeah. With fixed rates, you lose that flexibility. Most you can't are limited to how much extra you can pay and it's sort of limited as an example, a lot of lenders say you can pay an extra $10,000 over the fixed rate period. Some are different, but that's that's generally. Hmm. Don't have offset accounts. Don't have redraw. And if you were to pay that loan out, there is a potential for a fixed rate break cost. So people who sort of think, oh, look, I might sell the property yeah, or I might want to refinance, yeah. they can do it. The interesting thing, though, is, and this is only – speculation but if we believe interest rates are at the bottom break costs usually only apply if interest rates drop lower so it's quite possible today you could fix the loan for three years not um, be happy to let you out without and any yeah if you wanted to get out there's, there's a good chance if rates haven't gone down further there'll be no break cost so i guess it depends how you're using your offset and how much extra surplus you have and Everything we're discussing today is not financial advice and, you know, it's That's right. general, yeah, everybody's general information. So, so normally what you'd be doing is you'd be looking, if you're looking at, say, your loan and say, look, I want to fix some of it for three years because it's really good, how much should I fix? The amount you should fix is the amount that you know is going to be there over three years. So if your loan's 400 and you say, look, the best case scenario in the next 12 months, I've got no inheritance coming. I'm not going to sell any properties. It's just hard graft. You might know your saving rate perhaps as well. Yeah, the most I could pay off extra is 50 grand. You might say, well, look, I'll put 60 grand on variable and I'll fix the rest of it for three years because why wouldn't I fix as much as possible at a lower interest rate? It makes sense to pay less interest. Hmm. So I think it's one of those times where, yeah, you should really be considering fixed because I don't know how if this will come again where we can lock in at such low rates. Yeah, and normally fixed rates is almost like an insurance policy just so you know what your repayment is. We don't know if rates will go up or down, but I think because the official cash rate is at 0.1%, it's not, it can't go much lower, you wouldn't think. Yeah. And I guess if someone is looking to take advantage of lower interest rates or deals are on offer, when should someone actually look at refinancing because you know they don't want to be necessarily doing it every six every six months. No, because so. the thing is, at the moment, everybody's extremely busy, and it is like for everyone with work and yep. stuff like that. And and there's a lot of work for the client with data and information to set up your loan. So really, hopefully, if you get a new lender, you'll get a great deal, and and lock that rate in. So the things that are really important is that. It's not always about the cheapest, say, fixed rate in the market. What happens after that three, if it's three or four or five, what happens after that? So they have what's called revert rates. And if you're going to a variable rate, there's usually a discount margin locked in to what will happen on the other side of the fixed. That's the rate that we want to lock in today. So at the moment, the market's never been more competitive. The banks have never been giving away more as far as discounts, discounts of 2.5, 2.6% 2.5, 2.6% below the standard variable are quite common. Um, three years ago, the most the bank would ever give away was 
content. So it's just amazing how competitive it is at the moment. So you can, and once you've locked in your margin below the standard variable with most lenders, you can lock that in and you'll know what that will be for the rest of the loan term. So mm -hmm. if in five, 10 years time, the, the rates or the market isn't so competitive, if you've got your discount locked in, That'll, that'll see you out for the loan. So it's complicated, but we want to negotiate just not on what's the cheapest fixed rate, but what happens after that. And the reason for that is that so many clients say, yes, we want to review our loan in three years' time when we come off and we'll go to another bank and we'll do it. And the reality is very few do. We, we contact all our clients, we email them, we, we phone them up and say, oh, and they go, oh, yeah, no, look, we're with such and such. It's all, we're a bit busy. Can you just negotiate a rate with them? So... Not everybody, but I think it's worth at the moment definitely reviewing your portfolio because there are some great deals. And if you haven't done it in the last six months, chances are you can get a better rate, even if it's just a matter of contacting your existing bank and saying, look, you're looking to refinance, and they may sharpen their pencil again. Um, mm. But at some stage, we have to get to the bottom. It's a bit of a bit of a race to the bottom with the banks. So I sort of think now's a great opportunity to drive the best, best rate, best bargain you can. And I guess the other potential reason to look at a refinance as I'm seeing with all the appraisals that I'm doing for our clients pretty much across the board in Perth properties are now close to being back to their values that they were at if not further in front in most cases some properties are still getting back to their previous highs but I guess when you're in positive territory above what you might have paid and you've got some equity then that can be another reason to look at refinancing, especially if you want to make use of it before our cycle's out. Absolutely, Jared. So, you know, we've been in the unfortunate position where we've had lots of clients that have been trapped in expensive loans and because of the situation of where the market was, there wasn't sufficient equity to, to refinance. And if there was enough equity, often it was in that dreaded lender's mortgage insurance territory, yes. which is where they're borrowing greater than 80%. Um, and it can get very expensive. And then you've got to do the sums to say, well, is refinancing and paying mortgage insurance worth it or not? And we need to do some projections to work that out. So normally, if you've got 20% equity in your properties, yeah, there's some great opportunities out there to refinance. So if you're prepared to invest the time um, and provide the information, it's definitely worth having the conversation with whoever you, you use uh, to have a look around the market to see if you can get yourself set up uh, in a better structure, lower cost and potentially have a discussion about those fixed rates to see if they're suitable for yourself because we really could be at the, the cheapest time in history to borrow money and you can lock <laughs> those good deals in at the moment. We'll all look back and say, remember when? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Maybe it would be like perhaps we'd bought more property or, you know, done this. Oh, all those that, conversations. So yes, I know. Oh, absolutely, yes. Uh, time does that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for your chat today, Nick. I know we could talk about the game of finance for a long time. I'm probably going to have to break this up into a two-part episode as it is. Um, so we'll have to get you back again sometime in the future when the landscape's changed again, and I'm sure we can go deeper into some of these uh, more niche topics. Yeah, thanks, Jared. been an absolute pleasure and uh, been really knowledgeable uh, listening to your podcast every week. It's been uh, really good. So thank you very much no for the uh, chance to be involved. Well, now you can listen to yourself coming up on one of your walks. <laughs> or you can one. skip that if you're sick of it, if you're sick of hearing yourself. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks, that's, that's probably the one to skip, I reckon. <laughs> See ya. See ya. Bye-bye.
Thank you.